0: Nick W., Brent S., Jackie A., and Gordon S. We have new guests on the program, introducing a new Egypt-focused gold exploration company. Mr. Darren LeBrinz, Vice President, Exploration, and Mr. Adrian O'Brien, Director of Marketing, are with us representing Red Sea Resources, a privately held gold exploration junior focused on greenfield exploration in southern Egypt, inland, off the coast of the Red Sea, and within the Nubian Shield gold trend that stretches from Ethiopia northwest to Egypt. The company intends to list on a public stock exchange in the future, and you can learn more about the company via its website, redsearesources.com. Darren, Adrian, welcome to the podcast. It's good to talk to you again. Welcome.
1: Hi, Andrew. Really appreciate you having us on today and uh, really looking forward to uh, both Darren and I having a chance to tell you about Red Sea and the projects we're developing in Egypt.
2: Yeah, Darren here. It's great to catch up again. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely. Adrian, good to chat. Darren, also locally there in Egypt calling in on this one, appreciate uh, you coming on to chat with us here. Of course, I know both of you guys well, but I want to refresh the audience here. So why don't we get going with having Darren start off with his background and experience in the junior natural resource sector.
2: Sure. Thanks, Andrew. And again, it's great to be speaking with you again from uh, Alam on the coast of the Red Sea. I'm, I'm here in Egypt. Uh, Really excited about you know, the properties we have, which we'll be discussing in detail here. Uh, my background: I'm a, I'm a geologist. Uh, I've been in the industry for over 30 years. Most of my work has been focused on gold, uh, gold exploration, right from the, uh, the the generative side of the exploration industry through to advanced exploration feasibility studies and into production. Worked in Canada, the United States, uh, South America, Africa. I think one of the things that you know really excites me about our field is the opportunities to do something new and, and make new discoveries, and, and certainly that's what uh, encourages me about Egypt is it is you know relatively untapped, and I think there's tremendous opportunity in this country to really grow a vibrant mining industry and, and, a, and a vibrant gold industry in particular. So uh, I'm really excited to be speaking with you today.
0: Excellent, that sounds good, Darren. Good to hear from you. And Adrian, just uh, talk about yourself for a moment.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I've been in uh, in the resource sector, of course, for over 25 years, you know, worked every level from uh, from investor relations all the way up to CEO um, and former director of the PDAC. And of course, I've worked with Darren for the last five or six years um, on pure gold mining, which was a you know, really, really great opportunity to work together and, um, you know, got to see Darren's talents firsthand. So, you know, very excited to work with him again. And, uh, and this project for me is super exciting, you know, chance to be a first mover in a district that really has not ever seen systematic exploration and has just, just massive potential. So super exciting.
0: Why don't we move on here with just getting your guys' high-level views of how you look at the gold sector today. Uh, Darren, I'd like to start with your thoughts on just the gold sector and how you see it today.
2: You know, interesting and challenging time, I think, in the gold sector today. You know, we've, we've seen a you know, a very prolonged period of, of a difficult investment market, if you will. So it's challenging to raise funds to move things forward. But, you know, at the same time, uh, I think the demand for, for metals and, and and by metals, I mean base metals and precious metals is, is really never been exceeded by the period we're going through right now. So I think in some ways uh, the market today presents a tremendous opportunity because the gap between uh, investments and exploration and mining um, and the uh, and, and the price of metals and, and the opportunity for it to advance moving forward is, is tremendous and, and continues to grow. So I think there's a, I think there's a massive opportunity in front of us right now. And uh, I think it's a great time to be exploring for, for new discoveries. And and a new discovery is something that I think will really revitalize the industry and, and uh, bring fresh new eyes into the sector.
0: Yes, uh, it's a challenging time. I think that's an understatement, Darren, and you're too kind, but sentiment's terrible. Uh, This is a great time, I think, for investors to be looking pretty hard at the junior equity sector. And uh, obviously, the best times to be able to get best value out of these uh, from an investor perspective is to come in when sentiment is terrible and everybody tends to have forgotten the gold sector for other shiny objects that they're focused on at this point. Adrian, I'd like to just get your thoughts as well
1: this is absolutely a time to be getting into gold i think there's a couple of areas in of interest for me are are really gold and copper right now you know i think gold is clearly poised for another big move and in terms of looking at global jurisdictions uh people need to be looking at new areas and areas of of opportunity areas that have not been picked over not been looked at and um you know as new discoveries come out and as new companies are are active in these new areas I think that's that's really going to stoke the excitement around the gold sector again in
0: addition to what darren was saying i think this is a
1: this is a really really
0: good time to be looking at gold so guys i want to move on here for the sake of time because we've got some stuff to talk about but i want to get to the company in a moment but why don't we get your take on egypt from the view of first stability given some of the nearby instability uh, Sudan to the south, and now Niger to the further southwest, uh, and then also just Egypt's position as a growing exploration and mining destination. Darren, you're there in mar Why don't you go ahead and take it away first?
2: You know, as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, I have had the opportunity to work in, you know, many different jurisdictions, uh, in, including South America and other parts of Africa, and uh, one of the things that struck me when I First came out to Egypt in in May of this year was the the um the real sense of safety and security that I get here. It's uh it's a very you know stable government. Uh, people are very friendly. Uh, I crime rates are extremely low, and uh, and I, I think that you know that strong kind of stable government is uh, is important from from a you know from a security perspective, obviously, and it's also important in terms of. Uh, the ability to work efficiently and move projects forward, and have certainty about tenure moving forward. And you know, on that note, um, Egypt has had you know in the past a mining law that I would say were rather unfriendly. It, it dissuaded real investments in Egypt. Uh, you know, complicated ownership uh, laws, where you know whereby the government would take uh, or demand a, an interest in the project itself. Uh, you needed a world-class deposit like uh, sentiment security mine to really make it work. That mining law was revisited in 2019, and in 2020, they enacted a a change to the mining law that really brought Egypt into a more modern um, environment with respect to laws with typical royalties and taxation rates and, and so forth. It really kind of leveled the playing field with the rest of the world in terms of where you want to put your investment dollar. That was kind of the impetus or the, the thing that uh, caused momentum in terms of investments in Egypt. Uh, you know, the last bid round that uh, Red Sea participated in and was uh, successfully awarded three concessions in was also, you know, participated in by senior such a sentiment as well as Barrick and B2. So you can already see the, the effects of having a, a new mining law coming into place in terms of leveling out that playing field again, with respect to how the, the rest of the world um, operates with respect, to exploration and exploitation of, uh, of the mining licenses, and you know, pair that with a strong, stable government that uh, you know has been conflict-free for for a very long time. I think it's uh, it's a real a real good jurisdiction in terms of uh, mining investment.
0: Adrian, anything to add? Uh, no, you know, I I mean, I think
1: really Darren hit a lot of key points, and the, and the reality is just simply that when you look at Egypt. From the perspective of a junior explorer, there basically is nowhere left in the world to go and look for gold deposits that hasn 't been picked apart. Um, you have you know one of the last green as we like to say, and this is the last greenstone belt in the world that hasn 't been systematically explored. Um, the Egyptian government has gone a long way to you know rework the mining code, attract foreign investment, and really, when you look at um, the opportunities due to deregulation throughout most of the areas around there, you mentioned of course Niger. You know, Sudan to the south. These areas are are all seeing just new discoveries because there's opportunity now. Um, It didn't exist before. When you look at Egypt, there's now, uh, you know, a reduction in governmental restrictions. And now there's an opportunity to get in there for companies that are lucky enough to actually get um, licenses, to get blocks of property that are prospective and to go out and explore using the kind of tech parts of the world successfully. So, you know, Egypt has all of a sudden become one of the most prospective areas in the world, and certainly one of the, the most opportune. You can get into a great project and really look at it through a proper lens. Um, there is massive opportunity here. And you can see that through a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the artisanal mining that's taking place. Um, there is a, a fair bit of artisanal mining throughout Egypt and of course uh, around the blocks of property that we have, um, which is great because that, that certainly serves as a pathfinder to knowing what's there. Um, some of the prospectivity is definitely, uh, is definitely shown. But um, but, you know, Egypt is these these blocks are uh, acquired through bid rounds and only a few companies have been lucky enough to get blocks of ground there. And the only real, I guess, big success story in Egypt um, is sentiment. They've got the it's 11 million ounce uh, Sukari mine, which is a fantastic uh, asset. Of course, they had an offer of 2.5 billion from Endeavor, which they turned down. And when you look at something like that alone, I mean, you have a, a massive greenstone belt. It's totally underexplored. You have one operating mine that has been super successful. They receive an offer of two and a half billion and they turn it down. It kind of makes you go, well, what do they think is there, right? Like the upside must be spectacular for them to turn down such an impressive offer. Um, and it just gives you a sense of what's possible in Egypt and what you're seeing and what the prospectivity of the region is. It's um, it's It's a massive opportunity and the government is... Um, you know, seemingly doing what they can to to modernize their outlook on things, modernize processes and really give companies like ours the opportunity to make significant discoveries, which is going to bring lots of money into the country and turn Egypt into a world class gold district.
0: This is an interesting one for sure, and stick with you for just a moment here because you started to go into some of the other stuff I wanted to discuss here, but this particular region, South Egypt, along the coast of the Red Sea, inland slightly, there isn't much activity on the junior side. And as you mentioned, Sentiment Sukari is down there in operation, a great mining operation and very close to some of the major standards in terms of tier one. Also that there's majors interested, there's mid-tiers interested in this region, but then also there's not much juniors. When you look at this, there's really, from a new junior perspective, there's not many at all. I mean, it's very, very slim pickings compared Mm -hmm. to a lot of other regions in the world. And when I looked at this, you just have so limited options, which is compelling from the sense when people start to get interested and attracted to Egypt, which I think they will, uh, there's so few options from the junior expiration standpoint
1: yeah, no, I think you're you're hitting on an exactly uh, the key point there, Andrew. It's this is an area that has not really been open to exploration previously. There has not been systematic exploration throughout the entire country, and of course, we have Red Sea has actually three big projects, and they span almost the entire distance of Egypt, north to south. So we have one up north near Hegada, we've got one in the middle near Marsa which is actually quite close to Sentiment Sakari mine. Um, then we have a project right down south. Um, near Shalatine and so you know when you look at Egypt you have to know that most of the population exists close to water right so you have um, population within maybe ten or twenty kilometers of the Red sea and then maybe ten or twenty kilometers of the of the nile and and it could be more a little bit more or less than that but otherwise you have this massive expanse of ground that is there's no environmental issues it's wide open there's almost no vegetation there's no cover I mean you have all of these really great geological positives and yet the area is almost untouched um you know and like I said it's the kind of the last greenstone belt left in the world that's not really ever been systematically explored and so from a junior perspective you only have a couple of different operators in the area there are maybe two or three juniors that I can think of that are working There have not been any big discoveries or new discoveries by a junior to date. No major success. But, you know, some interesting sniffs here and there. Definitely Red Sea is sitting on some really, really prospective ground. And uh, I think Darren will probably talk about some of the discoveries he's made even recently um, just in the work he's been doing since joining the team. And, uh, And I think we're poised to become not just a first mover. We're certainly already a first mover in Egypt being kind of one of the more aggressive juniors and also with with some of the best blocks of property. But um, from a discovery perspective, um, I think there's an opportunity here for Red Sea to be seen as kind of the the preeminent junior in the area, the the group that are making moves and really establishing ourselves as that first mover and and jumping ahead of the, the pack here to show that, you know, we've got great ground and we have something worth developing. And so, you know, it's a it's a limited group of companies to choose from and really so far nobody is setting themselves a, apart in a big way that uh that i think if anything sig- really significant is found um this is going to start something really really exciting and we're going to be right in the middle of it uh, or maybe leading the pack if we're lucky enough to do that and i think i think darren's the right guy to be leading the charge on that front
2: yeah it's, it's absolutely right and it's tremendous you know tremendous opportunity i think one you know again one of the things that struck me when I like, when it first visited our, our three licenses was the uh you know some of the things that Adrian's just described. Uh, there, there's virtually nothing living in these areas. There's no vegetation. Uh, there's there topography and there's tremendous exposure, and so you're able to see the rocks and uh, you're able to trace things that have been discovered by artisanal miners um, fairly easily on surface. So it's a, it's a it's an environment that's quite easy to work in and. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to know where to start when I'm when talking about the opportunities in terms of the three properties. Uh, each of them, you know, each of these licenses, I think on their own could be something you would you would build a company around and have bona fide chance at, at making a, a real discovery. You know, they all have artisanal workings, um active, you know, artisanal mining on them. Each of them have, you know, geologic elements that I want to see in terms of defining a large gold system. Be it um, you know large sear systems, uh, strong alteration, we've got complex geology uh, we're in the right rocks the you know the Arabian Nubian belt is known to host Tier one deposits across it, except for in Egypt where we find the the you know world class sentiment Sukari mine, but apart from that there's there's nothing else really to talk about and, and that's not reflecting the geology. We know when we look at the Arabian Nubian shield. Uh, which spans the Red Sea and, and crosses into North uh, West Africa. We know that this is an environment that hosts large deposits. Uh, the real key here is that the you know, again the mining law has been a barrier to exploration, and so with a limited bin round and and, and limited uh, number of companies that were successful in being awarded licenses, uh, uh, some of them being majors, you know, as large as Barrick and very few juniors. I do think uh, to to just reiterate, I do think that we have an opportunity to stand out here as a, uh, a new junior operating in Egypt in the ground that's virtually untouched that has tremendous opportunity to stand on the ground and just look and see it. And uh, so, um, you know, it's an exciting time to be working in in, in, in this industry and a, and a great place to be, you know, trying to make a new discovery.
0: I think the area has been well demonstrated in the sense that the Nubian Shield has been demonstrated and of course, you know, to the south there you have formerly Orca Gold, which was taken over, the deposit there in Sudan. So I think with that and then also just the fact that you're showing as you said there, Darren, with Barrick, you have mid-tier and major interest in picking up exploration blocks, and so that's also reinforcing as well that you have a number of uh, majors and mid-tiers that have attempted to pick up blocks there, and some have been successful. And then, of course, just for folks to to do some work there, there's a few juniors, and I will just mention by name Lotus Gold as, as another company that's there that's working in the area. Similar status as Red Sea in some senses, but why don't we come back here Just for a moment, Adrian, and give me just a a quick overview of the company going back to the concept and then up to where it is today.
1: Sure. Um, You know, when you look at the group behind this, of course, um, our CEO is Al Fabro. Um, Al has extensive experience in Africa, probably best known for the discovery of the Aramoco deposit in uh, Burkina Faso, which was uh, rocks gold. You know, I think Al has always had a keen interest. Uh, One of the other projects we're working on is Midnight Sun. Uh, which of course is a copper company focused in uh, in Zambia, Egypt is again remarkable opportunity. There was a unique situation unfolding where there was a chance to to get into Egypt and to start looking at um, to start looking at, at blocks of ground. And so um, looking back a few years ago, we started a process of analysis, building a team locally um, to look at. The prospectivity, look at opportunities, look at blocks, and how this process was going to unfold, and decided to zero in on Egypt with a brand new company, um, and Red Sea Resources was formed. And so, you know, at this point, we are a private company. We do plan an IPO later in the year, but basically uh, went after three blocks of ground. As I mentioned early in the interview here, these these blocks are acquired through international bid rounds. So the government gives uh, companies an opportunity to bid and come up with a, an opportunity here to acquire these key blocks of property, you know, I think between the three blocks, we have a total of over 750 kilometers, uh, 750 square kilometers of ground. So these are massive. I mean, each one of these projects is over 200 square kilometers or roughly, and Darren can can give exact size on that. But, um, you know, we really looked at these through research, we made site visits, we interviewed people, Um, And we basically put together a team of international and local Egyptian uh, geoscientists and geologists to go in and make sure that the ground that we were acquiring was ground that we felt to be um, the most prospective properties that we really felt had an opportunity to be, you know, to be company makers. And uh, and at this point, you know, looking at our team, I mean, these are people with lots of big discoveries and you know mines around the world that they've discovered and big credits on that side. And that gave us a really great group of people to look at this through different lenses and uh, and really make sure that we were getting into property that gave us the best chance. So today, you know, we have these three blocks of ground and we're ready to start moving them forward.
0: Adrian, just come back for a moment here. and just talk about capital structure of the company, the shares outstanding, the cash on hand here, and also just major shareholders, including the management team and board. For sure.
1: Um, I'll give you the, the pre recent financing numbers. Um, We just actually raised uh, around another million dollars at $0.15. And that money has been allocated to Darren to basically go out and immediately start working on our central block, I believe. Um, Again, he can give you his detailed geological plan and and what he wants to do on the exploration side. Basically, uh, prior to this recent financing, around 67 million shares out. Um, We've raised a little over 5 million bucks to date and you know, most of that is with a couple of groups here in Vancouver, you know, it is pre IPO. So at this point, we are looking to settle on an IPO, either early next year, or very late this year, uh, most likely early next year, but the company has a tight share structure. At this point, we've been very, very diligent about raising just what we need to move this forward. Um, the company's never been heavily marketed. And that makes sense, given that it's private. Um, but we are launching a, a pre-IPO marketing plan now to make people aware of what we're doing and really to prepare ourselves to uh, to launch that IPO with the best exposure possible um, so that we can really find pricing that we think is fair for the quality of these assets. And uh, and as Darren, again, will will explain to you, um, these assets are, are looking uh, really, really, really impressive right now. Uh, and I think we'll be looking at an IPO at a much higher price than the recent 15 cent financing that we completed.
0: Darren, I want to get to you in just a moment, but Adrian, it, just on this capital structure bit, I'll, then we'll move on here. Uh, sure. Is there potential for investors to participate in any financing at this point pre-IPO or will the next round be the IPO round?
1: We may do another round. Um, I think that will largely depend on Darren's exploration needs. Um, we don't really need a lot from a corporate, you know, G&A end of things. We don't need a lot of money right now. We run this company very lean and mean. And we're keeping it that way going forward. So at this point, really, it's about giving Darren what he needs to do the job that he needs to do. And we'd like to come into this IPO, um, you know, with some exploration success. Hopefully, with a discovery. Um, you know, Darren is looking to do some drilling and uh, some early work. He's already been out there working with the team, and uh, we just want to make sure that he has everything he needs. To make this thing a success, so that we can come out at the at the highest price on this IPO that we can, you know, really show the shareholders that got behind this early on that we followed through with what our goal was, and to ensure that we come out with a with an IPO price that really reflects the quality of the assets. And so, you know, right now we've raised again around a million dollars, maybe a little bit over a million dollars, just closed that a couple of weeks ago. That is pretty well all allocated to Darren to go out and do what he needs to do. And if we do need to raise money. Um, We may do a little bit more here. It probably won't be at $0.15. It would probably be at a higher price, but there may be an opportunity. And if we don't end up needing any additional capital, we'll push straight to the IPO and and come out as high a price as we can.
0: Darren, let's go back over to you, and I'll take any comments that you want to mention. But let's also talk about the initial exploration project areas, RA, Luxor, and Oasis Gold exploration projects. Uh, Darren, first, why don't you cover where the first focus is for you, and those initial plans for drill target generation, and how you are selecting those targets?
2: Yeah, sure. So we are looking to advance uh, each of the three licenses uh, with you know early stage exploration activities. So you know, again, I mentioned earlier that there's tremendous exposure on all of the licenses across the, uh, the eastern deserts in Egypt. So we have uh, you know the the benefit of being able to look at the rocks and See what we're looking for, and secondly map out the geology, map out structure, uh, map out alteration, and ultimately look to uh, to, to bring some of the targets we've already defined into you know, better clarity with respect to honing into to where we want to spend you know, the real money drilling and looking to make that discovery. When I look at the the three project areas, the uh, the central block is probably going to see the the most of the exploration activity over the next uh, few months. Uh, that's our, our Luxor. Gold project. It's uh, situated kind of in the center, about 50 plus kilometers from from uh, Centamin Sicari mine. It shares you uh, shares geology with with that deposit in, in some ways. be it uh, sitting on a a major east-west structure that cuts across the eastern desert. It's got tremendous opportunity. I was I was frankly quite blown away by, by some of the, uh, the the targets that uh, we we have defined over the, the last couple of years. Uh, including new targets that we defined over the last month as we walked over the ground there. I'll say it's highlighted by a target we call Wan. Um, it sits, right in the, it's the center of the block. This is a uh, a, a diorite intrusive that has uh, a sheeted quartz vein exposure running across it. And what really impresses me here's the scale. This is, it is being actively worked by artisanal mining. It's quite a large operation to be quite honest in terms of uh, the number of pits that are occurring in this area. Uh, these pits, know um, extend up to 30 meters in depth. Uh, they're tracing, you know, these sheet quartz veinlets over a strike length that spans several hundred meters. When you step back and look at the work we've done, we've collected um, you know, hundreds of samples across this, this WAM target. Uh, we've seen grades running up to, uh, you know, half meter or 400 grams in individual veins. And, and again, what really, really strikes me here is the, the scale of these veins. So it's a whole series of them that run north, north-south, um, trending a little bit northwest on the west side and northeast the, on the on east side. Um, we can trace mineralization in grab samples and channel samples. That we've taken in active artisanal mining across uh, two and a half kilometers uh, east-west and, and better than two kilometers to north-south and it's still open. It's still going. Uh, individually, we have traced these veins across through the granite diorite, across uh, one of these wadis, which is a you know, dried upstream bed into the northern range front where we transitioned into a Cabro complex and we're still seeing them. They're still carrying forward. So fantastic scale here. High grade quartz veins. Uh, they're sheeted. There's a series of them. And uh, so I think there's a real opportunity to find something that has, has real scale, if you will, given the, uh, you know, real size potential, given the footprint that we've already developed on the ground. Stepping outside of that, again, still talking about Luxor, the central block. If you move three kilometres north of the WAN target area, we're in a little bit different environment. We've got uh, some volcanics and sediments there. I was struck by a, a new discovery that, uh, that we made, but in fact was made by artisanal mining. Uh, this area that, uh, that I walked into has um, tremendous alteration. We've got a, a strongly altered, foliated rock face where they're working the spans probably five to eight metres uh, they're actively mining a vein there that's smoky gray in color. It's it's uh, it's got good texture to it. It's got arsenopyrite. It's got pyrite. There's visible gold, and uh, and again on its own right, it looks it looks tremendously excited, exciting. So I mean that's just talking about the central block Luxor that we'll see. Um, you know a lot of work over the coming months here, mapping of the uh, the WAM target itself, working out the structural context uh, with which these veins were in place, trying to build out the scale and best to find drill targets uh where we uh we hope to do a uh, uh or we'll be doing a, a you know fairly small but uh, targeted drill campaign here between you know now and the next two or three months uh to to really get some sizzle and hopefully make a discovery in in this area prior to our IPO.
0: Why don't we just stay on this for a moment? Talk about one of the other things the company does have is the company has its own drill rig. I understand that is in country now. Maybe just talk about that, Darren, and just some of the uh, immediate next steps that you guys plan to do at Luxor.
2: Yeah, so we don't actually have that drill rig in-country yet. Uh, we're working on the uh, the import permit to get it across. So the company does own it. It's, it's sitting in, in West Vancouver right now. So um, once we have those permits in place, it'll, it'll be a fairly you know, straightforward move to, to get it across in-country. And, you know, obviously the benefit of having your own rig is it gives you ideally um, lower costs, uh, but also gives you that flexibility. Ability to go in and, and test test targets, wait for results, refine your process moving forward, and drill again, such that you're you're using your exploration money in uh, you know as efficiently as you can possibly do so. You know, given the time frame that uh, I think it will take to get it across, the initial program will do will likely be conducted with uh, operators in country. Here, uh, there are a couple of larger operators uh, with rigs in country ready to go and uh, and so we'll, we'll likely be working with one of them for at least the initial program that we'll be doing this year. You know, again, work programs, uh, we, we intend to have teams on the ground at, at Luxor continuing to uh, pick the existing target areas and, and expand them with our, our geological knowledge, uh, lots of, of mapping, structural measurements, uh, rock sampling across the, the ground, fairly low-key, low low-cost but critically important in terms of you know further refining those targets to build up the the, the priorities and rankings uh, in terms of, of future future drilling of of these targets should they so merit. We are looking again to drill. Uh, this will probably be a program in the order of 1,500 meters initially. And I think we have a real opportunity here to to make a discovery, just given the scale of what we see on the ground and and some of the numbers we pulled out of rock and, you know, grab and channel samples uh, through some of the the active pits that, that are on the ground today. So you can look forward to seeing that later in the fall. I haven't really talked about the other two licenses, but if we move north to the Raw license, it's geologically complex. Uh, there's volcanic sediments and intrusive in in a structurally complex setting. Uh, mineralization there is a little bit different. It, uh, it's polymetallic, so it's gold plus, and and by that I mean we have gold with silver, copper, lead, zinc. Uh, Sits along a faulted contact between two of these rock units. Grades there, you know, historically are are quite astounding. We've had, uh, you know, historic work in 2014-15 included 39 grabs that that averaged 15.8 grams per ton gold and 156 grams per ton silver. Uh, Channel samples uh, averaged 15.9 grams per ton and 100 grams per ton silver. So you've got uh, some solid results there. There's a broad alteration zone that's 15 to 25 meters. It does carry lower grade gold in the order of you know one to one and a half grams. So you've got some potential for volume there. And our team um, over the last year has taken this this initial work and has extended the system for you know plus a kilometer and still open there. So that's quite exciting. If we look to the uh, the south end, uh, we've got our you know closer to the town of Shellapine. Uh, we have our Oasis license. It's, it's about 45 kilometers west of Shalatin, accessible infrastructure. Here. We haven't chatted about it at all, but it's it's fantastic in Egypt. There's you know solid power infrastructure. The road network is absolutely fantastic. So each of these properties are very accessible. Oasis itself is uh, you know again a large block, 344 square kilometers. Uh, regionally, it sits on a very large gold-bearing shear system that runs over 100 kilometers and does bisect the uh, the Oasis property. Uh, we've got a number of splays off that that we've identified. In fact, you know, in, in early work, we've already laid out over nine targets on this area, and uh, we've taken grab samples, again channel samples, on there. You know, up to 270 samples, we've taken over 30 percent, or 3 percent, are running better than one gram per ton. Got about 13 percent running better than five grams per ton. So. I think you had a sense of some of the opportunity that we see on not just the central block, which we'll have the, you know, the bulk of our work over the next few months, but across the, the three licenses that, you know, again, each in their own right uh, have merit and, and deserve attention uh, with the potential for, for discovery.
0: It's quite an interesting setup that you guys have. And of course, you have, you know, you guys mentioned artisanal mining in the area uh, on some of your grounds as well. And the artisanal is a little bit too kind. As I understand it, they're quite uh, sophisticated in in some of these uh, areas. But uh, it is quite compelling in terms of what we've got here. And with that, I'd like to just try to get a flavor from you, Darren, and also, of course, for the audience here. But For these types of Nubian Shield style gold deposit, which obviously there's different types of deposits within the Nubian Shield, but talk about, you know, maybe using Sakari potentially as an example, but talk about the grade, the size, infrastructure considerations, specifically water, and just the overall scale, Darren, that you think a deposit needs to have in order to attract mid-tiers and majors.
2: That's a great question, Andrew. And, and I think when we, we speak to each of our licenses, uh, the answer would be a little bit different. You know, again, I'll start in the central block, Luxor. It is, again, relatively close to to Sakari, about 50 kilometre distance. Uh, there's a uh, road that runs from Marsa Alam, um, an asphalt paved highway that runs from there across to, uh, to the Nile. Uh, so we run along there and then turn north into, into the desert, uh, about 20 you k know, off the highway. Uh, so relatively straightforward from a access perspective. Um, there is excess power available uh, in Egypt, and so you know if your distance from infrastructure isn't too difficult, uh, you're, you're in good shape from that perspective, and that's certainly the case here. Water is more challenging. Um, when I look at the Sakari mine, they are they have their own desalination plant, so they're. They're, they're using seawater and uh, DCI names to, to operate. Um, certainly, the uh, Luxor targets are well within the the, the the range of being able to apply power, uh, water for for moving the project forward. In terms of scale, you know, I, I, I'm not going to fool anyone. I think that you need a you know something that's going to run one two million ounces plus to to really ge- generate that interest to to garner interest from the the mid tier majors and and to have momentum in terms of building a large, large scale asset and gold field. When we go to the, the, the south end, our Oasis property is very close, uh, as I mentioned earlier, to the town of Chalatine. So, you know, from an infrastructure perspective, it's it's easy, it's it's really quite simple. And um, the environment there is a little bit different. If I look back to, you know, when I was talking about the WAM target at Luxor, uh, we've got this sheeted vein system. Uh, each of these individually run very high grade, but I do look at this as a you know, bulk mining opportunity given the scale of what we see at surface and given the, uh, the frequency or density of these veinlets, uh, I think you can start thinking about bulk mining there. And uh, while you won't achieve some of those astounding high grades, the scale could could generate some some ounces really quickly. And I think we do have that potential for a, you know, plus two million ounce deposit uh, uh, at the, uh, the WAM target in, in Luxor. At Oasis, it's a little bit different style. You're looking at, um, you know, a large shear system coming through there. As I said, I think there's opportunities for both bulk mining and underground mining. Uh, what I like about it is that, uh, you know, this this regional structure does have some complexity with the splays that we see there, and a lot of our targets are not on the same structure, so they're related um, geologically. They're they're probably um, very similar. But at the same time, they're, they're not the same or exactly the same. So I think you can put together a collection of these quite easily that uh, that might form a mining center within the, uh, the the oasis area that is again very well connected to infrastructure. Ras, you know, a little bit more challenging. It sits uh, north of Eastern Desert. It's uh, closer to the city of hergada uh, but it's a little bit further off 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 the coast and off of that infrastructure. And so I think it has to be. It has to be a little bit more to to generate the economics to bring in the infrastructure to move it forward. By a little bit more, I, I think you know you know a million ounces plus deposit is going to generate some excitement no matter where it is uh, on our licenses. Uh, but I'd be looking for you know I'd be looking for something with size and or grade or you know at the uh, at the rock to move it forward. And and again, when I talked about the scale that we see there in terms of strike length and some of the grades that we've got along that system there. I think it's uh, going to be an easy one to move forward from an exploration perspective, and we'll, we'll answer those questions fairly straightforward, and I do think that opportunity is there.
0: Darren, just one other thing here on this. You know, these are generally open-pit, conventional, simple processing, about a simple type of mining that you can get, which is obviously
2: helpful, but
0: also just talk about maybe the depths. What, what kind of depths are we talking about here?
2: That's something we don't know. I mean, it's a question we have to answer. You know, we've got... We've got lots of expression at surface, both from work that we've done, samples that we've taken, the mining activity that is occurring illegally on these properties. Uh, so we know that there's there's gold mineralization there. We know it uh, raw target. We can stretch it for over a kilometer. And uh, the oasis area, we can we can stretch some of these individual targets to, to 500 meters, and it's not hard to link them up into a one to one to two kilometer lengths in terms of mineralization along these shear systems. The WAM target at Luxor itself, uh, massive scale surface, uh, again, spanning 2 to 3 kilometers east-west, 2 to 3 kilometers north-south, uh, centered on a big diorite intrusive. But we haven't been able to drill them yet, so we just don't really know what the depth of these systems is. We do know that there's been pits down to 30-plus meters. I suspect even the scale, what we see at surface, that we have real potential to develop to depth, so it's going to be the drilling that will answer that for us.
0: Yeah, very well there's not a lot of comparisons to to pull i mean you can certainly look at Sukari as an operation you could look at maybe some couple other juniors that have projects that have been there one junior in particular that's been there for quite some time but a different area can have a rough idea but certainly we're going to need drilling to confirm what's happening here and so looking forward to seeing uh, some of those efforts come out darren uh adrian any comments there and then also why don't i link this with any comments you have adrian but also local community work how are you guys using the local talents, service providers in the country, and then, of course, relations with the local and national governments?
1: So, you know, I, I think Darren, I mean, has, has fully covered uh, the realm of what we plan to do on the exploration side and, and the different projects. I mean, I think Raw, Luxor, and Oasis are all super highly prospective, um, really interesting projects in the right place. Uh, geologically, Darren seems to be seeing what he wants to. And this is exactly his strength, you know, to look at projects like this. And uh, from a geological perspective, it's right up his alley. So, you know, we're lucky to have him uh, have him at the helm as we go and, and look at these, um, you know, I'll happily answer those questions as far as community work, government work, we're working with a team of um, Egyptian locals. Darren has uh, Egyptian members of his team and geologists that he's going to work with. And maybe I can even bounce that back to Darren to specifically describe who he's going to be working with over there, and kind of give you a bit of their background. I you know, but it's really important for us, from uh, you know, political perspective, to work with the Egyptian government um, to develop as uh, as close a tie as we can, and and really do things the right way from day one. It's a it's a super unique opportunity, and you know, we want to make sure that we're going into it the right way. And, You know, we've built a team of people that have international background, have worked in areas like Egypt previously. Of course, Ian Stalker is one of our directors, founder of uh, K92. You know, we have uh, uh, Gavin Cooper uh, as our COO, and he's a senior executive experience. He's a geologist with over 35 years experience, which is certainly helpful. Um, Al Fabro is uh, our president CEO. And of course, he has a a lot of background in Africa and different international uh, locations. And of course, Darren has worked all over the world as well. And again, I mean, with the extensive experience he had with Placer Dome, you know, working throughout South America and Africa, this is right up our team's alley. But we have one, one fellow in particular that I think is worth mentioning is uh, Ahmed Alishri And he is a, one of our directors. Um, he's a dual qualified lawyer in both Canada and Egypt. Um, and uh, And he's served with three Egyptian prime ministers um, throughout his uh, his career. Um, he was a, a former policy development manager for Middle East and Africa uh, strategic advisors. And basically, um, you know, he was, he was working as a right-hand man to uh, the to Egyptian prime ministers that he served under. So he is very, very, very involved in things in Egypt and well-respected and a uh, key member of our team. Um, as we move forward and really try to develop those relationships in Egypt, uh, both politically and from a local community perspective to ensure that... You know we're respecting the uh, Bedouin groups that are local. That we're making sure that we're working under the right uh, the right rules and regulations as the Egyptian government also institutes proper proper guidelines for exploration. Because this is such a new thing, this is all a, a bit of a work in progress, and it's getting better and better all the time. So,
0: Adrian, that sounds good. I appreciate that. And of course, you guys are early stage, so this will of course ramp up as you guys continue exploration efforts. Let's continue here just with a few other things. We'll wrap up. Appreciate your guys' time here. But uh, Adrian, I know you covered this uh, before. We have an idea of what the listing plans are, but just also talk about overall awareness activities to get the word out about this company because it is early days. What's the plan here over the next uh, few months to get out word to the investor community about this new company that'll be listing soon?
1: Well, you know, it's really important to us at this point. I think that because Egypt has had so little exploration and so little work. This is a perfect time to really raise awareness. Um, I do think we're looking at a great fall in terms of overall markets. I do think that there's, uh, you know, potentially some some very exciting times ahead um, from a general market perspective and certainly from a gold perspective. Um, so we want to plant the seeds now. We want to build a, a really, really solid awareness of what Red Sea is doing. Really build awareness around the opportunity in Egypt, the opportunity to be a first mover and to really establish ourselves as leaders in Egyptian exploration, and to show our seriousness in the country, to show our seriousness about the projects that we're developing, you know, and to go into this to, to really establish a, an exciting narrative around something that I think, you know, hasn't happened in a long time. There's a brand new district that is totally underexplored, um, and we have a chance to really get a get ahead of the pack here and really set ourselves up for, you know, all kinds of success. And so looking forward to the IPO, um, what we want to do right now is, as I mentioned, we've allocated Darren the amount of money he needs to ensure that he can properly explore and, and sort of give us some, some sense of what these systems hold uh, so that we can go into the IPO at the, at the best possible price and really, again, protect the share structure that we've been so careful with up until this point. And looking towards the IPO, we've planned to go um, to go public sometime either late this year or early 2024. I think it's most likely going to be early 2024, but that remains to be set in stone. And, you know, I think at this point, we're not going to talk price only because we want to see where the market goes and we want to see what kind of success Darren has. And I think that that will, um, you know, I think there's a, a very high level of confidence, but I think that that will really position us to be able to assess the, the true asset value of what we're looking at here. You know, if we are dealing with a a large gold system on any one of the three blocks or multiple of the three blocks, um, I think that would establish a a much, much higher IPO price than we had initially planned and allow us to really um, come out swinging with this in in the new year.
0: Well, guys, let's leave it there for now. Thanks again for the time. And I'd like to just uh, wrap up here with four potential investors who are listening in. The company has a private capitalization of about 10.2 million Canadian dollars. Why should investors consider Red Sea Resources at this stage? Darren?
2: It's a, you know, geologically, it's a belt of rocks that's known to host world-class deposits. Uh, we've got one massive operating mine here in, in Egypt, it's the uh, Sakari mine with, uh, you know, 11 million ounces between production reserves and reserves and resources beyond that. Uh, but it's suffered historically from a lack of investment due to our uh, case mining laws, if you will. Those have been recent, recently revamped. Uh, We've got a bid round that Red Sea Resources was successful in obtaining three licenses. And this was, you know, the first bid round after the uh, the modernization of the mine laws. So we've got, I think collectively, some of the best ground available in the eastern desert. to that end, active artisanal mining on all three of our licenses. Um, everything geologically you want to see, you know, again, I've been blown away by the opportunities I see in front of me in terms of the scale of the systems the alteration and the, uh, the gold workings that, frankly, are, are scattered all over. You know, you can sit back and you can open up a Google Earth image and you can look at uh, pits on there and say, I want to look at this and uh, draw up multiple targets uh, just based on the work that's been done by artisanal activity, uh, you're, you really get a great head start and uh, so it's a fantastic opportunity from a geological perspective and I think it's a dream to be working here right now.
0: Adrian, and your thoughts, and then also let me couple this with the best way for folks to reach out to the company
2: just as far
1: as final thoughts, I mean I think this is you know I think this is a huge opportunity. I think this is a pretty remarkable opportunity for investors to get into something you know very early on and uh, be in one of the most prospective areas in the world um, very very early and You know, I think this is uh, for me in my career, um, probably the most exciting global project I've been involved with partly because it's so early stage and just looking at what an incredible opportunity there there is here for anybody that is, that is in the country early and, you know, has perspective ground like we do. So, and again, like I, I really like to throw it back to the team here, Andrew, because to me, it all comes down to the people at the end of the day. I've worked on a lot of projects in my career. Uh, work with some really dynamic individuals, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the team it comes down to leadership. you know everybody involved here has been very successful in their own right there's been some some huge discoveries within the team on this company, and I think that having Darren on board for me um you know I have worked with Darren now for over five years and and really like he 's fantastic fantastic geologist you know super excited to be working with him again and to see. Darren and Al working side by side. Um, Al is a very dynamic individual as well, um, really incredible background. And I think when you look at the sum of this team, uh, really got what it takes here to make some serious discoveries and move this forward. And I'm just really glad that Darren is steering this uh, geologically. There's nobody better. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about that. And I think we've got a we've got a really great shot. As far as getting in touch with the company, probably the easiest thing is to reach out to me. Always available uh, for anything phone call wise. Uh, you can give me a call, you can email me. Best email address to use is a. O'Brien. that's A O B R I E N, at redcresources.com, R E D S E A resources.com. Or you can give me a phone call at 604 809 6890. That's my direct line. We're happy to chat anytime and, and certainly love to engage with shareholders and, and to make sure that you know, that we're there for them to to answer any questions and and keep them abreast of uh, how things are going in the field as Darren goes forward here and hopefully leads us to a great success in the field.
0: Darren, Adrian, thank you for introducing the company and we're looking forward to watching progress on this one. Best of luck and we'll be in touch.
2: Thanks again for the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, It's been a fantastic opportunity here to talk about Red Sea Resources and I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come back on and speak with you. And
2: you know, I hope you enjoyed the chance to take a look at these, uh, these new projects in Egypt. Thanks again.